You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. Our elderly patient population is not only living longer, but also becoming more diverse. As demographics are changing, what cultural issues should healthcare providers keep in mind when caring for our older patients? Joining us to discuss ethnogeriatric considerations is Dr. Alan Abrams, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Harvard Geriatric Fellowship Program, and Medical Director at Evercare New England. Welcome, Dr. Abrams. Thanks, Eric. First off, why don't you define for our audience what we're talking about when we talk about ethnogeriatrics? Well, in my mind, the discussion of ethnogeriatrics really refers to the care of patients who come from a variety of diverse ethnic and cultural backgrounds and bring those backgrounds with them to the physician interaction and to their interactions with the healthcare system the values that they have around health and the understanding that they have around health is a part of their culture. And the healthcare system needs to understand that in order to make effective the time that they work together with them. Well, let's go ahead and talk about some of these disparities. And I think that's some of the work that you've been doing. If you could give us a couple of examples where different populations really experience different things and our approach to them has to be different would be very helpful. A good one to start with would be diabetes care. So we know, for example, that diabetes is a pretty rapidly growing healthcare problem in our country and that we have a lot of work to do uh, for the general population. But when you start looking at data in terms of the prevalence and the success at limiting the implications of diabetes in people's lives, you find that certain populations tend to have better outcomes than others. And in our area here, we serve a population of people from Hispanic backgrounds. Of course, they come from a number of different Spanish-speaking cultures, so they all don't share the same exact cultural background. But there's a high prevalence of diabetes in that population their understanding of diabetes, their health literacy, if you will, around what diabetes is, what causes it, is a challenge for us as healthcare providers to impart. And so we have a number of different kinds of interventions that are geared towards that population. Some of the interventions have to do with disease self-management. The Stanford Chronic Disease Self-Management Model has demonstrated that educating people from Spanish-speaking countries who have Hispanic or Latino background, that they had to really devise a slightly specialized version of their curriculum that are taught to lay people. One of the things that was different is the notion of exercise, which is possibly a very Western or American notion, if you will, but for a first-generation, lower-income person coming from a Spanish-speaking culture later in their life, the idea that the healthcare system would be promoting them to participate in regular exercise programs is a new concept, and that is somewhat different than trying to educate a patient from another cultural background, whether they're poor or not. 
So that's an example of an issue that we deal with every day. Tell us a little bit about the economics that come into play as well with regards to some of the disparities. If you look at the general statistics across the United States, as I understand them, and you look at federal poverty levels, that you'll find that uh, there are higher percentages of people from specific population segments, such as the Hispanic population, the black population, or the Asian population. There are higher percentages of poor people in those population segments than there are white people. And as a result of that, there's the added complication that socioeconomic status places on managing chronic illness, which involves access to care and the ability to the extent that one needs to pay for care, being able to pay for care. So we try to work around that as best we can, but it's not always possible. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss ethnogeriatric considerations is Dr. Alan Abrams, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Harvard Geriatric Fellowship Program, and Medical Director at Evercare New England. As we come back to discuss the situation in long-term care, we certainly have a variety of different patients and their backgrounds, but we also have the healthcare team composed of a variety of different ethnic groups. How do we make this kind of environment work for the benefit of our patient? It's a very, very interesting question and really quite a challenge. I provided uh, house calls medicine for lots of very frail people in the area in which I practice. And many of them come from one of these diverse backgrounds. Many of them are in the lower socioeconomic condition. It would often be true that we might have a poorer and more poorly educated person from a a population segment that we're taking care of, and we need to put a personal care attendant in the home, uh, much like we do in long-term care in the nursing facility, where we'll have a nursing assistant helping people every day. And the patient might come from an Asian culture. The nursing assistant that's caring for them every day may come often from a Caribbean culture. The nurse that's on the floor that is actually running that floor may come from a majority culture. And the physician could be anything from black, Hispanic, Asian, and you have a coalescence of all of the cultural values that all of these different people bring to the development of the care plan. And I think that one of the things that we've done over the years is we've tried to develop practices that are patient-centered. And what that really means is that no matter who you are on the care team that's working around the individual, the care plan really needs to focus on the values that the patient and the family has it is from there that you develop the care plan so that one needs to make an effort to understand what their values are. This is particularly important in long-term care when it comes to advanced care planning, where people from different cultural backgrounds and families from different cultural backgrounds come to the long-term care institution where the life expectancy is not very great and is measured in just a few short years at best, and they are all of a sudden having in-depth conversations about advanced care planning, which might be difficult for them to engage in or 
they might have uh, value systems which make it very difficult for them to make decisions in advance. This is kind of the dilemma that we have, but it's a very interesting challenge. And I think that it really requires the involvement of the primary care physician or clinician to be the leader of the team of people that is surrounding that patient-centered care plan and to lead the way to make sure everybody understands the values that the individual patient and family has in the development of the care plan. Well, this program oftentimes circles back to the care plan, and it's great that you've done it as well. This gives us all the opportunity to use that patient-centered approach and better understand the sensitivities that might come from a cultural or ethnic background. Do you have any examples on a relatively large scale that have implemented programs that really work with ethnogeriatrics? There are two examples that I'd like to give. So one example was in the community long-term care part of the healthcare system where we actually took care of an elderly gentleman who came from China. His family came from China. The geriatric physician that was his primary care provider was Turkish and Islamic. And the nurse that was working with us from the Visiting Nurses Association herself was Irish Catholic. The nursing assistant that was going into the home to help provide the care was Haitian Creole. It was really a great example of just how diverse the healthcare system is, and it's a great example of how the patient-centeredness can really work to everyone's advantage. So what the physician had to do in that instance, the patient had a brain tumor, the family was not ready to move to a hospice level of care in spite of the fact that the treatments had reached the point where there was not going to be any opportunity to really reverse or maintain the current level of function and medical prognosis was poor. The family wasn't ready to make a decision to go to hospice because of their beliefs. They felt that it was important to continue to do everything possible. And so the physician actually called a meeting of the entire team with the family and discussed the situation. And really for that particular individual, everybody understood that the care plan to go forward was to provide the patient with care around all of the medical issues that came up because based on their belief systems, that's what they wanted. And it really helped because without that team meeting, not everybody came to the patient with the same idea in mind as to what they thought was best for them. So it really reduced any frustration or any misunderstanding, and it allowed us to provide the patient and the family with a comfortable, natural end to his life, even without engaging the hospice program. On the nursing home side, you know, there have been many, many examples of this. I think one of them that's really important is I remember having a patient who was in her 80s, had had a long-standing hypertension, and had developed a vascular dementia, and it was progressive. She was Haitian Creole, and one of her daughters who was involved in her care and in decision-making was actually a nursing assistant at a major Boston hospital. So she had a lot of exposure to medical care. It turned out that because of the mother's beliefs around medications that she didn't take her antihypertensive medicines chronically and in an ongoing way. And that had to do with the belief system that she had developed as a 
younger girl growing up in Haiti. Well, now you fast forward and she has vascular dementia and it's progressing and she's in the nursing home and she begins to lose weight. And of course, that becomes a major issue from the nursing home's perspective. You know, we're trying everything. We're getting speech pathology. We're having cognitive testing to see whether she's, you know, continuing to progress. We're trying to provide her with supplements, which she's refusing, you know, to really try to make a long story short. What we realized is that she didn't want to eat institutional food. And when we were able to get the family to bring in on a regular basis her good old Creole cooking, she started eating again. No, she did not probably live a tremendously longer time than she would have, but she really enjoyed herself a lot more. She actually gained a little bit of weight and stabilized for quite a while. That kind of highlights how some of these cultural issues in the care plan are really simple issues, and it really has to do with understanding human beings and just opening the door to ask people who they are and what their values are and what they need from us on the healthcare system side. Well, sometimes stories and examples are the best teacher, and you've provided us with those stories and examples today that are most helpful. Any final comments or remarks? My comment would be that as clinicians, as primary care physicians, and as long-term care providers, I think that residency programs and medical school training is doing a better job at helping us identify the diversity issue in the delivery of healthcare and in helping us learn communication techniques, which will help us provide better care. But I just wanted to emphasize that I think that the skills and the understanding are teachable and learnable, and anybody who has not had that kind of training in the past can really look to the resources that are available through the Stanford program, Chronic Disease Self-Management, through multiple websites that provide courses for healthcare literacy, to the American Geriatric Society for their books on diversity and cultural issues, and to really reteach ourselves about how to be better physicians and clinicians in delivering culturally sensitive care and culturally competent care. I would like to thank my guest from Harvard Medical School, Dr. Alan Abrams. Alan, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. You're welcome. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.